Hello, you're listening to episode four of Pat's Interference. Got a lot to talk about. Very disappointing weekend for Alabama losing to Ole Miss at home, snapping that long home winning streak. Patrick Bateman unable to join us today, but I've got a special guest to break down week four, move across the SEC, and talk about a whole bunch more. Again, thank you for listening to Pat's Interference. This is episode four. Let's get right down to it. Welcome into a very dreary episode four. I promise this is just sort of going to be a ripping of the band-aid thing. This is Pat's interference. My name is Patrick Norwood. Patrick Brittman unable to join us today. He went to Disney World without me. I know I can't believe it either, but I promise that this episode will go by quickly. We won't get too much into the game. It was pretty painful for everybody to watch, but it is good to... uh, examine it and sort of examine what went wrong what went right what people can expect for the rest of the season i do have someone here who's going to co-host with me so you don't have to hear me ramble on for 45 minutes uh victoria sheehan she covered alabama football through a bunch of different outlets uh touchdown alabama covered tuscaloosa local news uh at wva tv for six years she knows everything you need to know about alabama football and is as close to as good as me with Alabama football as anyone I know. So welcome, Victoria. We're so glad to have you on. Uh, just sort of let's dive right into it. Uh, you know, obviously a big storyline the other night. Game starting pretty late night for us, Eastern, you know, Eastern time and uh, Orlando. So it's it's 9 o'clock. We sit down and they announce that Cooper Bateman is the starter. What were your thoughts on that as far as Coach Saban's decision to start Cooper Bateman over Jacob Coker? Well, I will have to say, I think that along with a lot of Alabama fans, it still was a question mark as far as what he was going to do and as far as the coaching staff was going to do. But I may have been in the minority, but I think you may remember me talking about it. But I really liked Cooper Bateman's energy I guess when he was on the field now granted of course there was a boatload of things that you probably wouldn't like about him but I was really impressed with his energy and his kind of I wouldn't say excitement but maybe it was um of just like being on the field being at the helm things like that but I was actually I was actually surprised that he was starting yeah yeah no I think that was the mentality of everybody too is just that initial shock of you know, it seemed so obvious that Coker was the guy during the Wisconsin game. Comes out a little shaky during the MTSU game, but like we talked about in the last episode, you know, that was something that was sort of expected. You had a, that sort of week-long lull in between two big games. We didn't really, we weren't expecting too much from the quarterbacks, but something that I don't, I don't know. I, I don't really know how I feel about it because when you look. And a guy like Jacob Coker, who's obviously struggled with confidence issues, losing his job at Florida State, coming here, losing another quarterback job here. Uh, granted, you know, there was the whole playbook controversy, didn't have enough time to learn it and all that. But when you go into his confidence and that sort of thing, I just felt like that was not very good for it. And I know it's easy to say, well, you're a college quarterback, you know, and it's not personal or anything like that. But at the same time, when you think it's something is yours – and then you lose it before arguably, well, no, I'll say it, his biggest game of his Alabama career, it was a little bit shocking to me. Uh, And I don't want to question the coaching staff, but I'm just not really sure that that was great for his confidence uh, to get off on the right foot during the Ole Miss game. Well, I guess some could make the argument, and I think, you know, 
can he assume that it's his? And is there a danger in assuming that a position is yours, especially as being starting quarterback at Alabama? And I think, I wonder, you know, and I think so many people are trying to speculate as far as what message was Saban trying to send by starting Cooper Bateman and what, like you were saying, what does that do to an older quarterback that has had more experience and things like that. So I do agree with you on that. However, I just feel like there's obviously a reason why this is happening and whether it's a message that's trying to be send, sent or Saban is just not seeing something. Or maybe it's another coach. I mean, obviously, I don't think Saban would allow things to happen if he truly didn't like it, but... Yeah, no, there's a, there's a lot of rumors going on right now. You know, I'm not I'm not quoting any sources or anything, just people that are sort of around the program and sort of know uh, some of the players and things have said that there's been a, a lot of rifts, and obviously this is a rumor, but a lot of rifts between the coaching staff uh, about who should start at quarterback. And it's it's not a player's thing anymore. It's, it's, it's between coaches. And, you know, I'm not saying that is a definite fact. There's a lot of speculation there. Um, but I, I definitely, I don't know. It just, it, it, something seems off. Something seems horribly off with the offense. And Saban talked about it in his press conference that they don't have an identity. And I feel like even in the seasons where Alabama didn't have an offensive identity, there was still an availability to sort of branch out and expand. And I haven't seen that in these three games. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I heard exactly what you're talking about with Nick Saban mentioning that, he, you know, the question was asked if, if the offense has an identity and he said no not really that they're still trying to to work on that I think was the quote but I mean and I agree with you but I do think that but I do think he mentioned that he still likes the chemistry of this team which is pretty interesting I think to me because I was actually you know thinking the opposite I mean I don't know but I just don't see a lot of well, there's, actually, there's not that cohesiveness. Yeah, I mean, there, but you see glimpses of it, though. You really For do. Sure. I mean, you talked about it last week with Derrick Henry and his interactions with, you know, other running backs and people on offense. But, yeah. And I think that there are glimpses, especially on the de- defensive line. I mean, you saw them celebrating those batted down, I, you know. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen a defensive line at Alabama. Well, I won't say ever. In the past five or six years, that has not been a complete and utter team. I mean, that defensive line, every year, year to year, it seems like those guys are really have that brother mentality, that team mentality. Uh, and that's something I've always enjoyed seeing. And that's really, you know, been something that's been huge for that defense the past two years. Yeah. And, okay, so tangent a little bit. But with the defensive line, I was actually kind of surprised to hear Nick Saban say that the defensive line did, quote, okay. And I thought that was actually really interesting because when – as an Alabama fan, I think you look at the Ole Miss game and you try to take as many positives as you can out of it. And I don't know about you, but, like, extreme positive would be the defensive line to me. And so you look at that and you're like, there's hope, you know. But to hear Nick Saban say, you know, that there are, you know, that our defensive line did okay, it's like, well, how many passes did they that time? You yeah, know? Like, I, think, I think there was five in the first quarter and then maybe a couple more in the second half, too. Uh, I think that, um, you know, and granted, something that I want to mention, too, uh, and this is just sort of sidetracking here, a lot of people, Alabama did beat themselves this game. I don't think that that's any secret, as well, especially among Alabama fans. Ole Miss played a great game. Well, and I think, yeah, I have to kind of argue a little bit of the wording of that because I feel like, I mean, for instance, and sorry to keep you know going back to this, but what Nick Saban was talking about with, you know, they, 
this Alabama team did not lose to Ole Miss the same way we lost to them last time. Yeah. And and he was saying that the energy was there, and you know that sort of um, you know we did fight back when you really think about it. But I mean there were just some insane things that happened where Ole Miss. I mean they made big plays obviously. They had they had great field. I mean. Yeah. I well. Mean, yeah. And let's get so let's start getting into that. I mean you know. They did play a great game. I feel like they came out with a great strategy, but you've got uh, the sort of, you know, the first play of the game. I mean, the very first play of the game is a fumble on special teams, which is what happened last year in Oxford when Alabama lost to Ole Miss. And it's just, it's very frustrating, not only as someone who tries to come, you know, I tries to make it out like I'm an analyst of Alabama football, but honestly is trying to watch the game and do a podcast and take notes and do all these things. And it's like, I, I, I can't even imagine how different that game might have been if Alabama puts points on the board their first drive instead of fumbling on the kickoff. Well, right, because when you think about it, it's like you've got obviously this struggle at the quarterback position. So you count on, I mean, you, you never count on obviously turnovers for a quarterback. But when you look at that, it's like the least of your worries should be the turnovers that are happening on other areas of the and special team. teams exactly special teams an area of the game that has been killing Alabama for three or four years yeah. I, I and it's not the thing is it's not just field goals it's not just punts it's not punts return punt returns excuse me kick returns it's all of it punt returns played Alabama last year we know what happened with field goal kicking in 2013 I, it's just it's always something and you know a lot of people are calling for the job of Bobby Williams and you know I I don't know. I can't imagine a special teams coach really getting fired in any sense, but it's kind of hard to argue it at this point. I mean, it's just it, special teams is something that's so it seems so simple and basic, but yet you've got coaches like Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech, Beamer Bowl. I mean, it's a it's a huge joke and it's almost like a cult classic in college football, but it really is this thing that special teams, I mean, it's it's a small part of the game. But really, in the grand scheme of things, it's a huge part of the game at the same time. And it's something that Alabama has not capitalized on at all in the past. I don't know. I don't know a time when Saban's been there that I felt comfortable with special teams. Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm a little biased and I'm not saying what's wrong. You love Javier Arenas. I love Javier Arenas because I knew how exciting it was when he got the ball. Because, and that's the one thing that made me think of when you were talking about that is just how important special teams can be, even for the intangibles of football, like momentum and and having like you said, having confidence in special teams means that here we go, that excitement of like, let's see where they can take us. And instead, it's like we're all just waiting for the bottom to fall out because it has two times, especially last game. Yeah, well, you know, even even in the season that you mentioned, I agree with you. Javier Arenas is one of the more exciting players to ever wear an Alabama jersey. But even that season, on the other side of the ball, Alabama gave up a record number of kick returns for touchdowns that season. Well, and, and yeah. but uh, no, and I completely agree with you. Like I said, like that was a great season as far as punt and kick returns went. And you have to also remember that whenever Javier Arenas got the ball, it didn't always turn into something. Right, sure. But, and it certainly wasn't organized in that sense. Well, and it but, also wasn't Brandon Brooks circa 2003 when he fumbled almost every single punt. I'm not even going to get into that. Let's so go. let's move on. We're going to get into uh, the receiver miscues. I don't know. I The thing is, a lot of people were blaming, and I was too. I'm not, and I, I believe you were too. But it's sort of blaming the quarterbacks as to some passes would be let go and it would be 
who the hell were yeah, you throwing that to? Way but then you really start looking at the game tape, and yes, I did watch this game twice. I really didn't want to, but I had to, so I sat down and watched it again. A lot of the times it was receivers just not running the correct routes, and I think it comes from a young receiving core. A couple of drop passes this game, uh, Mulaney played great. Yeah. The transfer from Oregon State has been great. above and beyond expectations this season. He's been amazing. Uh, O.J. Howard, silent this game. Uh, had a couple good catches in the first half, but other than that... He just hasn't really done... It's never blossomed. No. It's no. it's it's It reminds me of the, uh, just the title of it, but the uh, 30 for 30 documentary, The Best That Never Was. I mean, we saw O.J. Howard, his first season uh, with the run against LSU 2013, uh, you know, gets a little crossing route, and it's a normal tight end play, and all of a sudden he's up the field 60 yards down the sideline for a touchdown. And I think Alabama fans kind of said, okay, well, next year and the next couple years we can expect that from O.J. Howard. And it, he just hasn't even come close. It's not even been close. And I know uh, Patrick Brickman is very uh, critical of O.J. Howard's play. And, you know, I always kind of got onto him about it as a little bit of an inside joke. But at the same time now, it's kind of hard not to be. Uh, when you're expecting a guy like that to be a great possession receiver to get open and sort of, you know, give a quarterback who just needs a good five or six yard pass to get his confidence back. He's not there. He's MIA. And that's something that's really got to be figured out uh, before Alabama can move on with the next few games of the season. When you talked about, you know, we talked about these receiver miscues and things like that. When I, you know, something that keeps showing up in my head as far as watching those aspects of the game is this fact of both all the most players on offense just turning to each other with this look of like was that you was that me like then turning to the sideline and being yeah. like so it was like this sense of chaos and confusion I mean not necessarily to that level but I mean there was obviously confusion and it made me just think now actually of um you know them mentioning um that Kiffin introduced the cue cards um yeah. for the first time in the game and I remember thinking is he making this offense too complex for its own good is yeah. he making it more than what it should be? And instead of in keeping it simple, keeping it what works, and instead trying to be Kiffin? You know, I, I I don't know. It's just, it's it's weird to me to see an Alabama team throw the ball this much. Um, and to what success? <laughs> exactly. So. No, and I mean, usually when it, when the ball has been thrown around this much, even last season with Blake Sims, it wasn't, I mean... The West Virginia game, Blake Sims wasn't great, but he wasn't terrible. But it was just throwing the ball just so much. And there would be times when Kenyon Drake or Derrick Henry would get a six- or seven-yard run, and you'd think, all right, here we go. We're really going to start pounding it to them. You know? And they, even the broadcasters brought it up. Kirk Herbstreit brought it up. Ole Miss's defensive line was getting tired because every time you tackle Derrick Henry, he falls two more yards forward. Absolutely. So a, a – run that's defended really well where you tackle him at the line of scrimmage it's still going to be second and eight because he's falling forward two yards i mean it's just yeah and yet then you step outside and you throw this deep ball or you throw this hook route and i just don't understand i don't understand the play calling and that's something that i really i really blame this game on the coaching staff and i don't know if that's fair or not but the offensive play calling in my mind was inconsistent and very very just awkward. Yeah. It just didn't make a lot of sense. Well, and to that point, I mean, I, I'm a total, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid with 2009 team as far as 
be I the over and over again Nick Saban would say we're striving for balance and offense we want balance and offense balance and offense and you know to some people statistically that would mean we want this many you know we want runs we want passes blah 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 but it, it, to him it was like I feel like it was obviously more of a sense of an identity of offense and when you spoke about the awkwardness of these plays on Saturday it really wasn't a balance it was sporadic it was not making sense and it wasn't it wasn't balanced it was not at all to I just I mean I agree yeah no I mean I also am concerned because I'm like I have not heard Saban really preach that in years in the next few you know well and I think that goes back to I mean football's changing the the football that Nick Saban knows really well is changing and it's it's an evolving game he knows that better than anybody but I think it's just it's not the game that he's used to, and I think he's trying to adapt the best he can, and that goes back to the cue cards that you were mentioning. So he's, and so are you saying that, do you think he's opening up the door a little bit more to Kevin because yes. he, he's yes. saying, you know, this is where you're supposed to understand? Yes, and I'm not sure that that's what needs to happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest, and I, you know, I've always been, just like I mentioned Patrick being critical of O.J. Howard, I've been equally critical of Lane Kiffin since he got to Alabama. I didn't like him when he was at Tennessee. He left to go to USC, and to be honest, I didn't root for him there. And when I heard he came here, I wasn't too excited. Uh, I think he's when he's on his game, he's brilliant. Uh, I mean, yeah. he's, he's a genius when he's on his game. But, you know, it reminded me the other night uh, of the Texas A&M game when Johnny Manziel came into Bryant-Denny Stadium and won. Alabama has the ball at the two-yard line and doesn't score. I, it baffled me. Yeah. Did not score a touchdown. You're at the two-yard line. You have the biggest running back in the SEC. And you don't score a touchdown. I, I, it just, it, like I said, the play calls were just awkward. We can talk about, uh, you know, the helmet uh, situation. You know, obviously, it, if if that ball that uh, Chad Kelly throws doesn't go off, I think it was Marlon Humphrey's helmet for a 66-yard touchdown. I, this game, I think we're talking about it in a much different light. Alabama had a lot of momentum, uh, and that, I really think that was a point in the game. They could have changed a lot, but let's wrap it up. Last thoughts on Ole Miss, Alabama, and then let's bury it in the ground forever. Okay, I'm going to take away a positive, and that is, uh, can we all just say how much we love Scott Cochran? Because you could really tell that that team was, I mean, if there's one thing we can count on, we can count on at least the fact that we're going to stay physically strong. I mean, like, obviously there's some injuries, but you know what I'm saying? Like, as far as being gassed is concerned I mean you can genuinely like that is one thing that's really stayed consistent with Alabama's identity if you will and I just every time I feel like at least once a game I'm just saying like praise you Scott thank you so much yeah yeah no I mean our guys Patrick and I make jokes about it all the time they've looked like they're 40 years old uh let's move on uh forget about the Ole Miss game people we're not we're we're done with that we're we're done talking about it so you can you can let it go band-aid's been ripped off uh, we can go get our sucker from the doctor. So let's let's move around a little bit. Uh, go around the SEC. Uh, oh, ooh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> to another band-aid. I, I, I don't even know where to begin with this game. Uh, LSU Auburn was a complete slaughter. Um, first off, I'm going to let you talk about Fournette in a minute, uh, which is obviously a huge topic. I'm going to go ahead and talk about Jeremy Johnson. This guy has become, and I, I genuinely feel bad for him. As bad as you can feel for a rival quarterback, I do feel bad for him. And 
I, I feel bad in the same way that I feel bad for Jake Coker, where it's not these guys are going out and throwing interceptions and playing poorly on purpose. They want to be good, but right. it's got to be frustrating for Jeremy Johnson. I mean, there's there's some passes he throws where I, I don't even understand where he was trying to go. It's been announced today that he's been benched. Sean White will be the starter for Auburn next week. Uh, Jeremy Johnson was so hyped at the beginning of the season. I don't know if it got to his head. I don't know what happened. But the LSU game really cemented it for me that this Auburn program, not only last week we were questioning whether or not they needed to be pressing the panic button, it's time to start punching it and mashing it and looking for every alternative because it is bad. It is bad in Auburn right now. Uh, Leonard Fournette ran all over Auburn the other day. Oh, my gosh, everybody. Go ahead and talk a little bit. So a lot of people have been saying his odds have moved in Vegas now. Because you know me, I'm a huge gambler. Yeah, watch out for you. Um, so his odds have moved as a Heisman candidate from 12 to one to 11 to two in a week. Uh, I mean, going from not even being on the radar to all of a sudden the leader in a lot of people's eyes. Do you feel that this is justified, or do you think this week against Auburn was really just a fluke? Yeah, well, that's not. Hold on, before it's not you a, answer, right? Maybe fluke is a little yeah, bit harsh. Yeah, I was about to say, it was definitely not a fluke. Was but it just Fournette was that good, or was Auburn's run defense that bad? I mean, genuinely, I think it's a combo of both. Because, I mean, you just look at... I mean, he jumped over a freaking defender. And you don't see... I mean, granted, yeah, you see plays like that sometimes in college. But, you're. I mean, you saw that. And there was, there was a play in the NFL that week that mirrored that. Yes. And you... I mean, the physicality yeah. of LSU never ceases to amaze me. I mean, I mean, genuinely. And the fact that they have this, he's like an animal. The way he just, that's his style. And I feel like, I mean, just, just basing it off of the fear I have having to face him, I, I think it's... Alabama did a great job last year shutting him down. Alabama's got a great run defense this year. I'm genuinely... Not only as an Alabama fan, stepping outside of that, yeah. I'm genuinely excited to watch that game as a college football fan this year. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, and I'm not saying he walks on water, that's for sure. Because right. If one he, thing he that, makes his mistakes. Well, and if one thing the SEC has taught us is that, you know, running backs can be the end all and also be... Yeah, a fluke, like we just talked about. Yeah, but uh, so that's Fournette. I think he's going to be great. I'm not surprised that LSU beat Auburn as badly as they did. Auburn really needs to start panicking. Uh, let's move on a little bit. Uh, go to another SEC West team uh, and Brett Bielema. Good Lord. Can I just say, though, whenever he loses, I love it. Aside from it's Arkansas. But when he made those comments about the SEC when he was coming here, I just was like, oh, you have no idea. There's He, he struggles with keeping his mouth closed. But it, I don't know. In Arkansas right now, it's this weird sort of because not a lot of people are saying Toledo's a lot better than what people may originally have thought. But then this game, I mean, and now his comments back and forth with uh, Cliff Kingsbury over at Texas Tech about how, oh, well, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to concern myself with the opinions of someone who has a 500 record. Well, I'd really hate to say that it's uh, the pot calling the kettle black there, Brett. But last time I checked, you have a 383 win percentage over there at Arkansas. Uh, so... I don't know. I, I'm not I, – I, at the beginning of the season, honestly, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'll go ahead and say it anyway, I thought that the Arkansas game may be a sleeper game. I really did. I thought that Alabama may make it 
to the Arkansas game undefeated and then slip up against that team. I'm no longer worried about that. Uh, Arkansas has a great quarterback in Brandon Allen. Uh, they do not run the ball nearly enough. Patrick and I talked about that last week a little bit if you listen to episode three. But, oh, Arkansas is in a really, really bad spot. Uh, I'm not sleeping on them still. That's, well, that's, that's, still, a great, that's still a great team, Nick great Saban program. But, yikes. Uh, okay, let, I'm going to also talk a little bit about Mizzou and UConn. A very, very weird football game. Uh, Missouri had two points for, I think, three-fourths of the game. Pulled it out in the end. Matty Mock looked very, very odd, very uncomfortable back in the pocket. Something that you're not used to seeing from him. Uh, sort of embarrassing the SEC, considering the fact that uh, you had to go to the fourth quarter to barely beat UConn. Um, that brings up another point, Tori, that I kind of wanted to get your opinion on. What do you think about all these people questioning the SEC and whether or not the sort of quote-unquote reign of terror has ended? Yeah, I mean, I am a just... I have to deal, I feel, with, and I'm sure all of us do, with a lot of college football fans that obviously think that the SEC is overrated and all this stuff. I I have actually struggled with it a little bit this season, obviously. I mean, just listen to the past, you know, couple minutes of what you just talked about. Talking about how the SEC is, is, I mean, people aren't afraid of us anymore. And, I mean, they still should be. Yeah. But, I mean, I still think the SEC is, I mean, we put so much, we invest so much in college football that I think it's actually, I mean, from a logical standpoint, it would be stupid for us to not be good at football. And if people don't recognize and or respect that fact, then that's kind of their fault for not being a, a smart college football fan, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's the fact that they're really, it's as much of an insult to the SEC and whatnot as it is just an examination of statistics and records and things like that, and of that nature. And, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think there's a better conference in the nation right I now. So uh, I mean, yeah. I think you can make cases for other conference that, yeah, maybe on the right day, but at the same time, I think. End of the day, I think the SEC is the best conference, but I think it's changing. It's like we were talking about earlier, the game's evolving. Yeah. And one thing I want to say to that point is someone who's synonymous with the SEC is Steve Spurrier. Yeah. And now you've got South Carolina who very – it's surprising when they yeah. win in the SEC now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Georgia, Nick Chubb running all over South Carolina. No real big surprise there. Great story about uh, Georgia. I think he was a linebacker proposing to his girlfriend after that game. Uh, just a real neat little tidbit. If you get a chance to read it, go for it. Um, it's all over ESPN. Just sort of a neat little thing. Thought I'd mention it. But let's get back to it. Uh, do you think it's time for Steve Spurrier to, to hang it up? It's going to be I, – honestly, I, you know, a lot of people don't like him. I think he's kind of weird. I, I put him in the same category as Les Miles, not in their prestige or anything like that. But just in the way I feel about them where – I don't necessarily like them, but I'm going to be pretty upset when they retire. Oh, absolutely, because I feel like when they're gone, the culture of the game, that as we know it, it's it's different. It really, I it mean, really it does end an era. I, you know, and it's that old but, school sort of mentality. I mean, he's yeah. the old ball coach. Well, totally. I mean, and when you ask me that question, if it's time for Spurrier to go, I ask myself every single time I look at his face on the sideline because he is absolutely. I don't think I saw one time when he looked like 
at all content. I mean, no, no one ever looks like content when they're coaching a college football game. But but I mean, he genuinely looks like he looks very what frustrated. the hell am I doing? Here? He looks pretty frustrated, and you know, and I I don't know. I I feel bad for him. I want him to end on a good note. I'm not sure that's going to happen anymore. Well, and that's that was their the- recruiting classes are lacking, to be quite honest, and the players he has now aren't really producing for him in any sort of way. And, you know, I, I feel bad for him. Like I said, I, I wanted him to go out on a good note. Maybe they'll come up this year and slip up Clemson. That's a big rivalry game. And I think if that happens, it, it may be time to hang up the visor. I don't know about Spurrier's contract or any of that. Uh, so, you know, I'm not – all I'm commenting on is strictly based off performance. Uh, but like I said, I, I don't necessarily like him. I'm going to be sad to see him go, and I think that people need to start sort of expecting that. Uh, to happen, but let's move on. Uh, we're going to go into next week uh, with Alabama, kind of go back to Tuscaloosa. Everybody regroups. Students have had their sad Monday after a loss. It probably rained. I don't think there was a time when it I was... It rained on our hearts. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't remember a time in Tuscaloosa, I'm serious, where it we lost on a Saturday at home and it didn't rain the following Monday of classes. Someone tweeted that the other day. Yeah. And I almost retweeted it. But I remember especially the quote-unquote game of the century oh. when LSU, greatest football game I've ever seen yeah. from start to finish. I, I know it was a loss for Alabama, greatest football game I've ever seen. I love defense, so there you go. But that Monday, it flooded the quad. It flo- I mean, it was awful. But so anyway, that was a horrible tangent. But I think uh, let's move on. So students have gone on to class. Everything's fine. Uh, getting ready for Saturday, looking forward to ULM. A lot of people forget this is a revenge game for Saban. Last time Louisiana Monroe was in Bryant-Denny Stadium, they left with a victory. That was in 2007. I believe John Parker Wilson was the quarterback. Oh, yeah. That may have had something to do with it. Uh, ULM running all over Alabama that game. So this is a revenge game for Saban. Obviously, the team's not going to be too pleased with their performance last week. Uh, Torrey... What, do you, what are you expecting to see on Saturday as the team runs out of the locker room? And first off, who do you expect to see at quarterback? Well, I'm, I expect Jay Coker because I do think Saban pretty much said that it will be Coker starting. Um, so I, I do expect Jay Coker. Um, I, here's what I hope, and I, I do to an extent uh, expect this, but I think we're going to learn a lot about what team shows up because it is ULM. And it's your week after a loss. So, one, it shouldn't matter who the hell you're playing. You should have something to prove to yourself. And so I think we're going to see a really fired-up team. Not that we didn't see a fired-up team against Ole Miss, because like Saban said, we had a lot of energy. They just didn't know, or they just didn't channel it correctly. So I see a very focused team and a very just, I mean, obviously ready to to prove to everyone that's like us talking about them that they know what they're doing and they yeah. can get stuff done. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting we were talking about it before uh, we came in here and recorded. Uh, I, I completely overlooked this game as a point for the team to sort of make a point to the rest of the nation that, hey, we're still in this. We've still got a chance at this, and I, I genuinely do think that. I think it's going to take a lot of outside factors. I think Alabama has to win out. I'm not sure that's going to happen. Do I think it can happen? Yes. Absolutely. I think Alabama can still make the college football playoff. Uh, 
I'm not sure it will if I had to put money on it, like we talked about earlier, because I'm a huge gambler. Uh, no, I, I, I don't know if I put money on Alabama making it. I hope they do. I really do. I promise you. Yeah. But I'm just not sure that this is the season where that happens. But I don't think that's a bad thing. You look at next year, we have a very – this year we have a very young set of defensive backs. Yeah. Uh, a, are getting a, valuable lessons. Getting, well, and getting a lot of playing time yeah. too. And, you know, we've got quarterbacks on quarterbacks, which we figured out this season. That's sort of been an Achilles heel, but I think next season will be a plus. Well, I mean, you look at it, and no matter what, Cooper Bateman's going to know what it's like to get run over by an Ole Miss – yeah, yeah. No, just if for some reason you're a listener, maybe you're in high school and hoping to become a quarterback or something. If you are a quarterback, and I saw a lot of people on Twitter, this sort of made me upset. If you're a quarterback and you throw an interception, people are allowed to hit you. <laughs> it's okay for them to hit you. I, now, it's frowned upon, but they can do it. You are in the field of play, and I'm sorry, but if I – now, do I think that was a little bit of a cheap shot? Yeah, I do. The play was kind of far away from the quarterback. But at the same time, you're the same as the other, what, 21 guys out on the field? You are no different. They can hit you. Look up. Look up before a future NFL defensive lineman knocks your block off. But anyway, let's get back to it. Tori, uh, we've already talked about the chances to sort of make the college football playoff. What do you think, how many wins do you think Alabama finishes with at the end of the season? I don't like answering this question, and I'm going to be forthcoming about that. I'm only going to say that two games stick out in my mind as true, like, I, I genuinely just don't know, and that is Georgia and Dallas. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. You know, I would say I put, you know, when the season started, um, you know, I, I – told myself I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama only won nine games this year. And listen to us. We're sitting here talking about only nine games. Like, that's some sort of sin. I remember a time when Alabama won six games and went to Shreveport for the Independence Bowl. We're totally having hashtag first world problems right now. Hashtag first world Alabama problems. Yeah, but... That's why the rest of the, you know, football hates us. But you know what? Sucks to suck. Hate us because they hate us. Hate us because they hate us. But, yeah. So, no, I, I, you know, last topic that I want to bring up, uh... People talk. People use this word "dynasty" a lot. A lot of people hate this word. I know Saban can't stand it, but at the same time, you go back to 2008. Alabama moves undefeated into the SEC championship, loses to Tebow. We know what happened in 2009. We know 2010 was "quote unquote" a disappointing year. 2011, 2012, back-to-back national championships. 2013, undefeated, heading into the Auburn game. Last year, ranked first in the college football playoff, the first one ever. I don't know how you can go through that stretch of time and not call it a dynasty because even those quote-unquote down years, like we were just talking about, that's two or three losses. That's not a down year for anyone else in college football. So I think it's a dynasty. A lot of people saying right now the dynasty's over. And, you know, it's funny. uh, My boss this morning was talking about it and saying – Alabama lost by six points this weekend, and everyone's talking about how their reign is over, that it's over for Alabama. Well, I remember a time when it was over for Alabama last year when they lost to Ole Miss. It was over for Alabama when they lost to Ohio State last year. It was over for Alabama when they lost and kicked six. It was over for Alabama when they lost to Oklahoma in the bowl game that season. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. Until there is a season where we can look up and say, you know what? 
Alabama might not be in the top 15 at the end of the season, then I think you can have that discussion. But I don't think because they're having, you know, and people say like, oh, Alabama fans all the time, they say we don't, uh, what is it? We don't rebuild, we reload. Yeah. You still got to buy bullets. That's part of reloading, you know? So, no, I don't think the dynasty's over. Tori, do you? No, not at all. And, I mean, it's exactly to the point that you're saying a dynasty doesn't necessarily mean you win the national championship every single year. But even that being said, I, I mean, this season is far from over. And it is going to take, quote-unquote, character development, literally, to see what we actually have to work with because I genuinely don't think even the coaches know exactly what we're working with. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I mean, it, but no, it's it's no, I, I don't the I don't think it is. Not over I don't think it is. You can't look at a team that is consistently in the top ten in college football and say, oh, they they're done. Yeah, no, I I you know, one more thing I want to bring up, and then we'll wrap up. We've got about ten minutes here. Uh, a lot of people talking about fans leaving early, and this has been an issue that Alabama has struggled with. Not just in big games, but, you know, small games, too. You were at the LSU game with me last year uh, before Blake Sims' amazing drive to tie the game. Uh, people left. People did leave. People left. Uh, you had, and, and I'll, you know, I, I agree with most everyone who says you bought the ticket, you stay at the game, especially yeah. when the team needs you most. You brought up an interesting point the other night when we were discussing this game. Do you remember what you said? Yeah, about Alabama fans being, uh, okay, so... Let me preface this by saying I do agree with the people that say, like, you know, it is kind of shameful to look up and especially on TV, watch like your home stadium and people just flooding out when your team is still on the field. However, I genuinely feel and I, I hope that I, I can get this across and give it justice, but I genuinely feel that Alabama fans just couldn't take watching the loss. Yeah. And I mean, just emotionally just was like, I literally can't even. And, and I know that that's going to sound really... No, I mean, it's it's an interesting point because it's something that I hadn't even thought of. The other night we were talking about it, and I was talking about, I can't believe they left. I, I can't believe they left. And you brought that up, and I said, you know what, that's a good point. Because even I wanted to turn the game off early. I, I wanted to go to bed, but I stayed up and watched it because that was the thing to do. You know, but I, you brought up a good point, And, you know, I wouldn't have left early. But then again, if, you know, you never know someone's situation, too. I, I really hope anyone who was at the game didn't sort of try and bring up anything with anyone who is leaving, either. Because the thing is, you never know what someone's going through. You never know if someone has to be up at work at Huntsville Sunday morning at 6 a.m., and they've got to drive back tonight, and they don't want to see Alabama lose and then get caught in traffic. I understand that, too. So you never know what someone's going through or anything like that. Uh, so I... I wanted to thank you for bringing that up. Well, I generally it was from years of working in local news because I just pictured those, not even just students, but I mean Tuscaloosa natives who are live and breathe, eat, sleep, drink Alabama football, and think about what that is like to have those thoughts going through their head of this ride may be over. Yeah. And from a bigger perspective. And yeah. I mean, that's devastating when you have been on the top of the world for so long and I'm you know I know that's a really like it's a black and white sort of view of it but I just I I just spent we all have we spent so much time around we, Alabama football we all we all invest a lot into it's this it's a passionate and, group 
you know, I want all of our listeners to know Patrick Bickman was very upset the other night. Uh, he, he really did want to give a rip, uh, a, a rip being a soundbite, not, you know, I, I couldn't give a rip or whatever. But he really did want to say something uh, and so I could put it in the podcast. I genuinely think he was at such a loss for words as to he, not just that he didn't know what to say. He wanted to say so much, I don't think he could have put it into the five minutes that I asked him to give me. Tori, you have been a great fill-in. Thank you so, so much. I I know that these people did not want to listen to me uh, complain for 45 minutes. People, we are done with episode four. Uh, I was dreading doing this episode, but, you know, uh, comedy is tragedy remembered. I hope you laughed a little bit while we were doing this. Tori, score prediction for next week before I let you go. I'm going to go ahead and say... Uh... 45, 14. 45, 14. You know what? I'll go 7. You know what? I believe in our defense. You're going to go 45 to 7. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. That's not saying it's what's going to happen. I'm just saying yes. I would love that. I don't. You know what? I I believe in Nick Saban when he said, I want this defensive line to dominate the line. So I I believe. I don't think that's going to happen. But not because well, we're not good enough. I think it's because Alabama's going to see a lot of their second and third string coming in the second half. And still figuring stuff out. Then they'll hang up a couple more points. Oh, yeah. But I like your confidence. No, you know what? I actually just didn't really think about that. So you kind of caught me off guard with that. I, I no, I like so. your I like your confidence. I we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna take your original prediction, 45-14, because I was gonna say 36-14. I feel like that's a really good rounded sort of number. One of us goes high, one of us goes low. Uh, people, thank you so much for listening. As always, this has been just such a hobby for Patrick and I, and now Tori as well. Uh, we really, really love doing this. Uh, you know, even if we get one person to listen a week, uh, we really just love doing this, and we can't thank you enough for listening, for all your comments, for everything that you've sent us and said to us. We just really, really appreciate it. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at PI underscore podcast. You can search for us on Facebook at Pat's Interference. Again, that is P-A-T-S Interference. It's a little uh, play on words with our names and then obviously the penalty. So thank you so much for listening again. You can also go to patsinterference.com. Uh, again, thank you so, so much. Episode four is over. Forget about the Ole Miss game. You've got to believe in this team for the rest of the season because, as Blake Sims showed us last year, you never know what can happen if you believe in something. And so I'm going to believe in this team. I hope you do too. Roll Tide. Have a good one, everybody. We'll see you next week.